Welcome to the Parenting Musically podcast. Season two is supported by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Case Western Reserve University. This season, we're thinking about how encountering music in new ways can help us as families make music a meaningful and important part of our lives. How can music as a sonic experience help us and our children to understand the world we're living in? I'm your host, Lisa Heisman-Copes. I'm a professor and researcher of music education at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. I also teach early childhood music classes and I am mother to four children. So I engage with ideas of parenting musically from multiple viewpoints. My first guest in this episode is Justin Andrews. Justin Andrews, grandson of the legendary Otis Redding, is director of special projects and outreach at the Otis Redding Foundation. Within the foundation, he specializes in event planning, leads student activities and camps, and is the creative force behind Otis Redding branded merchandise, where proceeds support the organization's educational programs and outreach efforts. Justin is active and involved in the Middle Georgia community, where he serves as the president of the Macon Film Festival's Board of Directors and is a board member of the Macon Arts Alliance, the Boys and Girls Club, and Visit Macon. All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us today here on Parenting Musical.ly. Yeah, of course. Thank you for for having me. And I'm excited to talk about the foundation and everything we got going on down here in good old Macon, Georgia. All right. Excellent. I've enjoyed reading and hearing about your work and looking at things online. So you're the director of special projects and outreach for the Otis Redding Foundation. Can you give us an overview of the work of the foundation? Yeah. um, You know, I'll dive into, you know, give you a little history as well. Um, We started the foundation in 2007. Well, hold on. Let me back up. Um, my, my grandfather always had a passion for music education, um, mm-hmm. just education in general, um, and keeping kids in school. So right. it, it, we're kind of piggybacking on what he was already doing, uh, before he passed, um, in 67, um, cause he had a, a music camp out at the ranch where, um, he lived, um, in 66, um, mm-hmm. that kids bust out to the ranch to do kind of this music education program. So in 2007, we finally established the Otis Redding Foundation. Um, and, you know, we started our first camp in 2008. Um, and I mean, it has been amazing since then and how we've grown and the programs um, that we've added and the and the kids that we've touched. I mean, it has been uh, phenomenal over these past, what are we in, almost 16, 17 years uh, that we've been doing this. Um, so it's, it's always great to see the, the kids and watching them grow, of course, uh, but also seeing the confidence of the kids in our programs uh, and watching them go on to, of course, you know, college and universities and, and staying within the, the musical realm or the arts realm as their, as their major area of study. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing them go on um, into the business and watching them excel in the business and, you know, knowing that we are here to help them with anything that they may need. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been great over these years. It's been amazing. So a lot of your campers go on to have careers in the industry. Correct. They do. I mean, we have kids, um, we've had kids at Berkeley. We've had kids at, um, Full Sail University down in Florida. Uh, we've had kids at Middle Tennessee State, Benedict, uh, Vanderbilt. I mean, these kids are all over the place and all they're doing is studying, you know, music and the arts, um, after they come out of our programs. Great. And are they mostly from the Macon area and surrounding counties? Well, we, that's how it really started. Um, it started and it was mostly between Macon, surrounding counties. 
um, that we we serve the kids because we're not an overnight program. Uh, oh, okay. The work that we've been doing and the press that we've gotten from all of our programs has really opened up kids from all over the the, the states coming to our program. Mm-hmm. Like I was just looking at our, our roster of kids this year, and there's a a kid coming all the way from Canada, and I'm like, "Wow, what's going on here?" So you know, yeah. we think that uh, that speaks volumes to not only the program and the programming that we have, but to the team and the coaches and everybody we have involved in our programs. Um, the most top notch education that you can get, um, and I think we are doing a pretty darn good job at that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just imagining the relationships that would develop among the campers. I'm curious if they kind of take that cohort with them into the the later years of college and the workforce, if they stay in touch with each other. Oh, all the time. They they, yeah. they stay in touch with each other. I mean, you know, once they come in the camp, they figure out their groups. And, you know, of course, a lot of kids are, you know, go to school together. So they come in school mm-hmm. groups, they branch out uh, and meet, you know, new kids. Um, but they they stick together through thick and thin. And, you know, I always say we're one big, happy, complex family, but uh, <laughs> it always works out very well in the end. And uh, it's uh, very rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah. And then besides the camps, there's also music lessons that happen on an ongoing basis. Correct. So we have music lessons that go on every single day um, in our in our center. As of right now, I'm sitting in our little studio that we have uh-huh. um, at our foundation offices. Uh, so we do, you know, programming in um, piano, guitar, uh, percussion, strings, winds, audio engineering, vocal, you name it, we do it. And uh-huh. if somebody comes to us with something that we don't offer yet, we'll figure out a way to get it done. Nice. So I was reading online about a building project breaking ground. How is the building project going for the Otis Reading Center for the Arts? It's going great. So hopefully we'll we'll start construction within the next couple of months and um, hopefully we'll be open sometime in 2024. Wonderful. That's so exciting. Oh, yeah. Tell Tell me more about your work, specifically with special projects and outreach. We have a a choir called the Dream Choir um, and they go out and they perform all over town and things of that nature. So I handle all of those requests and, and try to get those, you know, to a place where it's easier for my my center director, um, Kimberly Epps, to talk to the kids, figure out what they want to do um, mm-hmm. and deliver the best product possible. I'm thinking of all of these children who are having the chance um, to live your grandfather's dream of having this music education. And do you view the work to be focused on the experience the kids are having in the moment? Or is it more about preparing them for their future or is it a combination? It's both. It's completely, it's both. Um, mm-hmm. We want kids to be able to come in and create with whatever they're feeling, what they're experiencing, anything that's going on in their life at this point. You know, we want them to be able to feel comfortable with expressing whatever they need to express through um, music and the arts. So, of course, the pandemic was a was a very big one for us um, and how kids were, you know, getting kind of depressed of can't go to school, I can't see my buddies, you know, so on and so forth. So that also translated into the music that they did in our virtual camps for the year. The songs that came out of it was incredible. But also we're preparing them for the future and preparing them for the music business. We we bring in industry professionals um, from all around, starting from law, copyrights, intellectual properties, um, the sync, 
um, making studios in your house, um, mm -hmm. you know, tr getting your music on streaming platforms, how you're supposed to get paid. Um, they're all of our kids are registered BMI songwriters. Um, so they understand how BMI works, BMI, ASCAP, um, CSAC, yeah. how all of those work, um, you know, and they are we're putting them in a, in a position to give them a jump start on the rest of their peers that may be thinking about being in the music and entertainment business, um, because it is not an easy business to navigate all the time. Yeah, well, in this emphasis on expression strikes me as so timely, given everything that's happening in the world. So not only providing a space to teach skills and to teach content, but opening that space for them to express themselves. Of course. I mean, it's, it, we give the kids 100% creative control. They create their songs, you know, however they want to do it. Um, we do a finale show on the last Saturday of camp. Um, so, you know, the kids have a very, very big input on the show and how they think the show should run and anything extra they want to put in the show. Um, we, we really let try to let the kids, of course, take it over and have ownership in what they're doing um, because we feel that is important. Um, we are just here to help and guide and navigate anything or any questions that they may have. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a product that they have 100% input to and a product they can be proud of um, and, a and a product that they can invite friends, family, whoever um, to come see this production um, that, that they put on. And of course, the, the music that they've created um, during our, our two week program. Yeah, this this strikes such a chord for me because in the music education as a discipline, music education is taught in schools. There's so much conversation about how we can bring more composition, improvisation, creation to students. And but there's this tension with the way it's always been done. And oh, if we do that, how will we do this? But just thinking about your work and the foundation's work as a model that could potentially be transferred or that music educators could learn from is really exciting to think about. It is. And I mean, we've had a lot of educators come to us and, you know, they've learned um, numerous things about, you know, kind of what we're doing, you know, here. When kids get to have the opportunity to create on their own um, and create whatever they want without any limitations, um, it gives out a much better product. Um, and the kids have more and more self-confidence as they go forward um, in their life and school and their career or whatever. Um, and we've seen that um, throughout the years. Um, we've had kids that's come to camp one year and we're getting ready to do a finale show. And I mean, these kids are on the stage and they're crying and they're freaking out and yeah. all these kind of crazy stuff's going on. And I'm over here like, look, you got 45 seconds to get it together. Get it together. <laughs> you got to go perform. But, you know, of course, there's always nerves. But to see that kid have the confidence to go out on that stage perform their craft, and then get the applause they get from friends, family, people in the community that are just here to support them, that turns them into a whole different person. Um, it, it gives them that ability to put it in their mind like, yeah, I can go do whatever I want to do at any given time uh, as long as I put my mind to it. And like I said, that is really the ultimate goal that we try to instill here at the foundation. Um, because, you know, kids and confidence isn't the same anymore between social media and peer peer pressure and everything else they see that's going on in the world. 
Um, I understand now that sometimes it could be a little frightening to a to a child that's, you know, looking on and being like, oh, my God, is this what I got to go through the yeah. rest of my life? You know, and it's just like, no, you can do whatever you want. And if that's what you want to do, then we'll figure it out and we'll we'll help you do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and then the kids understand that. Yeah. So thinking about these kids and what you described with, with learning that they can do anything and, you know, they, through their hard work, that seems like really the spirit of your grandfather and your grandmother's legacy coming through all of this. Let me start like this. I never wanted to be in the music business. I never wanted to do this <laughs> a day in my life. This was not something I thought I was going to do. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, like I said, as, as I got more involved in this and you know, with me and my mom and my and my grandmother, we've become a very, very good team. Um, and like I said, between the estate and the foundation, um, we pull off some amazing things here um, at the run of a day. That's great. This podcast is all about how families make music a part of their lives. Are there any unique ways you've seen families make music a part of their lives through the foundation? I have. Um, and it all goes through their kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the parents that we had are, are you know, the, of the kids that we have are nowhere musically talented or they used to play like piano like 20 years ago or something like that. But once they see the passion that their kids have in our program um, and how hard they work for that, um, then it just kind of develops over to as a parent, what can I do to help my kids succeed in what they want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that all the time. I mean, our parents will will call up and be like, hey, we need such and such to perform at such and such. And it's just like not a problem. You know, the the parents are so receptive and so thankful for what we're doing. Um, they just want their kids to succeed as much as we do. Um, and so they're they're happy to provide the the driving or the logistical support. But you are the one that's created the capacity and the opportunities. Correct. Correct. Um, and they are, you know, very happy with the opportunities that the the kids get. But we're special because at the end of the day, I mean, we're all family at the end of yeah. the day. Um, you know, literally. Right. Literally, we are we are family. And um, you know, it's not like the the Otis Redding Foundation is, you know, ran by, you know, other entities outside of us. No, that's not the case. I mean, you see me and my mom and my uncles and my grandma. And I mean, we are heavily invested in all of this. So I don't know another camp in the world um, that operates the way that that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I think people, especially donors and sponsors and people that see what we're doing, realize like, you know, the Reddings aren't just here for, you know, trying to push Otis Redding anymore or do anything like that. The Otis Redding story is the story. The legacy is the legacy and the music is the music. And that will never change. Uh, Mm -hmm. Us, what's most importantly is how do we take what Otis Redding did in his short life um, that he had and and push that on to a new generation of kids and let them learn and be familiarized with anything they may come to um, within the industry. Um, and kids have really done that and taken a hold of that and they know what they should and should not be doing and how, you know, rehearsals are supposed to go and how they're not supposed to go. 
um, and they are little professionals all in their own right. Um, we have kids that even kids that we I have, you know, little special projects for them, let them do things um, if it's not right or to their standard. Um, they will come and tell me. They'll be like, Mr. Justin, I don't know what they have going on here. And uh, I am with you. I, I agree with you, you know, because they understand, Yeah. you know, the quality and the level of what we expect from them. And every time they go into something, they expect that same quality that they get from us. Um, and if it's not that, they're going to question that. Um, that's huge right there. It's, it's big. It's, it's huge for us. So, you know, it's, it's really funny when a 15 year old kid goes up to the the audio video engineer and go I can't hear anything out of this monitor I need you to turn on my monitor and yeah. look at them like they're crazy like what is like no I can't hear anything out of this monitor and they start going through every instrument it's like I can't hear my kick I can't hear my piano I can't hear anything out of this monitor so I'm gonna need you to fix it and yeah. they're very very professional about what they do and how they go about that and it's um it impresses a, a lot of people um, when they go and do things. Absolutely. And I'm thinking not just for them in their future careers, if they are in the music industry, but overall to be thinking, to be learning that confidence in that um, sense of accomplishment and expertise. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, that is solid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, we've, uh, We've definitely thought long and hard about this, about yeah. you know what's what's important to to the kids, and um, even with our centers, like I said, this is giving kids a place to come every day after school and, and weekends to you know hang out or work on a craft or learn something new or experiment with something or anything that they want to do in music and the arts. We will facilitate that in our in our new center. Wow. Well, Justin, it's been such an honor to have you here today and to learn more about the work. And I wish you all the best and all the best to your family as you continue. Thank you so much. It's been, um, it's always a, a joy to talk about what we do down here at Macon. As you can, I'm sure you can tell how passionate we are about what we do um, every day around here. So it's always great that I'm able to talk about what we do and, and push that over to a new audience of people. Yes. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. I was really struck when I was talking with Justin by his description of the experience that young people were having putting together music, exercising full creative control, and learning their craft in such a multifaceted way. I called on a friend and former student of mine, Dr. David Thompson, to talk more about the importance of expanding our school music curriculum in the way that Justin suggested. Dave has been doing just that in recent years in his setting near Canton, Ohio. David Thompson is the founding instructor of career tech music production at Glen Oak High School in Plain Township, Ohio. His students perform concerts of original music, build their own instruments, and are often asked politely to, quote, keep it down. Dr. Thompson's teaching and research interests lie at the intersections of music, education, technology, and curriculum. He holds a Bachelor's of Music in Jazz Studies from Michigan State University, a Master's of Arts in Music Education from Case Western Reserve University, and a PhD in Music Education from Kent State University.
Dave, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast and to get to talk about music research and teaching with you again. Oh, as am I. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. Excited. So tell me about the music production program that you designed and now teach at Glen Oak High School. What happens if you put a recording studio in a high school and how would you organize uh, music making and musicianship around sort of authentic professional music making of the 21st century? So we have courses around recording, engineering, around songwriting, around um, becoming an ensemble. We become a class band. And the, the name of the, of the program, Music Production, is, is really just that. We make a lot of music all day, mm -hmm. every day. This didn't just happen out of the blue, and this is not super common. Is that correct? To my knowledge, yes. And, and I'm here in uh, Plain Township, which is just outside of Canton, Ohio. And to my knowledge, there's three programs like this in the state of Ohio. We have a lot of students who do the intro classes and the guitar ensemble, which you can take once or, or repeat those. Um, and then junior and senior year, it becomes a full career tech program, which is a, an intensive every day. Ends up being about 800 hours by the time you graduate high school. Wow. So those students that do the intensive program, do they go on to college programs? Do they go right into the workforce? What do you see happening with those students? Many of them do go on to college. Um, workforce opportunities straight from high school and music production are out there. They are, they are somewhat limited. Those would be more um, apprenticeships, internships, say at a, at a theater um, in town or something like that. But many students are going for degrees in music performance, music production, music education, uh, business of music. So I've heard several guests this season talk about teens having the time and space to develop their craft. And I was wondering, what does craft look like in your setting? This is what I love the most about what we're doing and, and some of these newer programs that are coming up. It allows students to identify their contribution to a larger whole. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that a violinist plays their role in the orchestra or a trumpet player plays their role in a band, students in my class find their role in this kind of emerging music production collective. And what that looks like in practice is uh, one student brings in a little bit of guitar chops. They are now the in-demand session guitarist on everyone mm -hmm. else's songs. Um, some of the kind of outgoing vocalists will record um, people's lyrics that they write. Uh, other students prefer to operate the equipment. So they kind of dive into sound design and into mixing and learn how to um, do EQ and, and add different effects like reverb. And so kind of craft looks unique for each student and, and what their role is in that. And year to year, or in the case of the Otis Redding Foundation, kind of like session to session, that's going to look different um, depending on who's in the room. And, it, it, and I, it, it's such a responsive uh, way to, to teach music because you can't do the same thing twice. Um, it, it really depends on who's in the room. And, and I love that. Yeah. You mentioned EQ. What's that? Um, equalization. So you can boost, um, you can, you can amplify or, or attenuate specific frequencies. Tell me more about the music that the students produce. Is it all recorded? Is it shared? Is it live? That's a great question. It's a wonderful mix of everything. And I'll also throw in words in there too, like remix and cover and yeah. mashup. Can you explain um, those? Sure. Yeah. So we, we, we often start, you know, we think of just like any, any classroom, um, think of kind of scaffolding and, and starting with a lot of structure 
And then that mm -hmm. structure kind of peels away. And in its place, students replace that um, kind of with their own emerging capacities. So oftentimes we'll start with, uh, in, in my intro classes, for example, what's known as loop-based composition. Most music software comes with a lot of pre-made sounds. Um, thing on a Chromebook or on um, a PC or, or Mac, if you're running Soundtrap or BandLab, there's a great loop library. If you mm -hmm. have a Mac computer or an iPhone there's or an iPad, there's GarageBand that ha has an awesome loop library. And these pre-made snippets of sound can be organized together in really creative ways um, where you don't necessarily need um, solid, rock solid understanding of harmony, for example. That's that's one of the trickiest things with beginning songwriters is um, they, their oral conceptions of, of what they want to produce, but their knowledge of, of harmony to get there and the loops can be a good way to, to kind of to kind of scaffold that mm -hmm. um, from there uh, covers are, are a nice a nice natural segue because the song's already written and mm -hmm. this presents all kinds of technical challenges on how do I recreate those sounds um, and you know many students pick their, the songs they want to work on so in many cases they're they're extremely motivated to take yeah. the guitar home even if they've never played it before and learn those riffs and, and learn those licks and learn the chords and put those together. Um, mashups and remixes are kind of the magazine collage of music, if you will. But somewhere in this process, we, we, we kind of do it all ourselves. And, and that was, is a full composition where we're recording and writing all the instrumental parts, mm -hmm. uh, singing the lyrics, or singing the vocals, writing the lyrics. And then does that recording get shared with families? In many cases, it does. Um, one of the trickiest things to navigate right now is distribution. Um, you heard a lot about copyright and legality oh, right, from yeah. Justin. And if we're dealing with covers and remixes and mashups, there's um, we're we're pretty safe with fair use um, within mm -hmm. the domains of the classroom. Um, but as soon as that leaves the classroom, it's it's pretty much has to be originals um, oh, okay. or those or those loop based songs. What's great about the every music software right now um, gives kind of a, a license um, to users of that software so that anything you create with that you own wholly. Um, mm -hmm. You don't you don't have to cut Apple in um, because you used uh, a GarageBand loop in your song. In fact, um, Rihanna's umbrella that hit song mm -hmm. um, used a, a drum loop from GarageBand. From GarageBand. Yes. Wow. So what might this look like if someone had a teenager at home who's into music production? What could that look like as a musical practice in the home? Well, the great thing is what it doesn't need to look like is a lot of equipment and a lot mm -hmm. of gear and a lot of overhead. Okay. Um, this, is, this has been one of the most exciting changes kind of since I was a teen till now, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, my parents were noticed my interest in this, but we sort of ran against the wall of, you know, can we really invest like the thousands of dollars of gear right. in terms of like getting multi-track digital recorders? Cause that, it was all like discrete separate pieces of gear that you had to kind of put together. Yeah. And, and the position we're in right now is, is a really good one where like an iPhone eight plus is a better music production platform than anything that was available to me, you know, f as a teenager, like 15 years ago. Right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, we have we have some really great capabilities. So so what it can look like is, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, opening up that GarageBand app that you might not have um, so far on your iPad mm -hmm. or iPhone, 
um, and opening up the loop menu or opening up the um, virtual keyboard. And if and if that keyboard appeals to you, there's some fairly inexpensive options on MIDI controllers that plug right into those devices. They run off the battery power of the device so we can start right away on a uh, 25 key keyboard or, or step mm-hmm. up to, to additional keys. Um, and, and same thing with microphones, you know, the, the, the quality of the microphones on these devices is definitely serviceable for uh, making some drafts. And then there's, you know, some options to upgrade from there. But um, really, I think it's kind of exploring what's already there. We have so much technology in our homes and in our lives. Uh, and I think we're, we're using it definitely, but we're not necessarily using it for, for creative means. So it's, it's kind of taking that first step to open the app or, or find the, find the program and, and see what's there. Okay. So it sounds like we've, we've really got the tools, most of us in our homes, but they could be used more. Definitely. So we know that there's a a great study from common sense media, uh, about half of all 11 year olds in the U S have their own smartphone. Oh, wow. And yeah. And that number goes to 75% by age 12. Um, and by age 14, 90% of us teens have their own smartphones. Um, however, in those same years, only 10% use those devices to create original art or music. So we're looking at 90% ownership and only about 10% um, right now. So I think it's a huge opportunity for um, not just within music education, but within our within our own homes to to have those discussions about how we can be creators of, of I hate to say content, but um, creators of, of music and art and yeah. um, in addition expressive, to maybe expressive ex- content, certainly expressive. And um, in addition to, to uh, enjoying it through those devices. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of something Justin was saying. He talked about the campers having full creative control in creating and producing the songs in their final show. And I'm curious what you think about the importance of these types of experiences and opportunities for, for teens to create um, art and music with their phones. What do you think that means to the teenagers of our world today in 2023? Well, I think it's, it's absolutely essential. Um, and, I, and I remember that part of the conversation, Justin brought up that the, I think it was the dream choir, mm-hmm. they had that performance and just the elation and joy and pride and ownership that comes with that applause at the end. Right. And where, where I see this being so critical is in the context of lifelong musicianship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any empirical research on like specifically child development, confidence in music making. Experiences like the ones Justin talked about are so important because if you can get that enthusiasm back, that confidence, um, it's what it's what John Kratis um, refers to a lot in his uh, work on amateurism in music mm-hmm. education, just sort of the playfulness. You know, we, we talk about playing an instrument because it is, it is a very playful act to make music. Um, and the teenage years, I think, are so important for developing that, that confidence. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. I was wondering if you could fill us in on any research being done in music education that ties in with the philosophy and activities happening at the Otis Reading Foundation. Absolutely. So we've kind of been talking about this kind of emerging curricular format. I guess you'd say it's authentic or studio-based or kind of songwriting, writing-based music mm-hmm. education. Um, and I, I've, uh, in my dissertation research, surveyed, uh, I use the term music technology teachers, because we just don't have a great vocabulary for, for what this is yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our other options in public school that we offer students are instantly recognizable. And we say band, we kind of re- know what that yeah. means. We say choir, we know what that means. But when it comes to, and this is such an interesting paradox, when it comes to how music is dealt with most right now, we don't even have a phrase or word for it in music education. I think that parents, um, as Justin said, can can reach out, uh, talk to folks and, and advocate in their own local communities and, and say, this looks really cool. Why don't we have something like this? And if yeah. that's go to a PTO meeting, if that's go to a school board meeting, talk to the, the, uh, the local music educator and find a a model or a way to adapt a model that works right for that local community. Mm-hmm. So what did you find in your dissertation when you surveyed the people? So high 90% using uh, computers and electronic music software, microphones, audio interfaces, um, songwriting and composition is the number one musical skill and activity, music listening and appreciation, um, a close second. Music theory is in there as well. We heard Justin mm-hmm talk about the importance of, of learning that. And several participants mentioned um, the legal and business aspects of music too. So we see this phenomenon in public schools. It's very rare and uncommon. We just don't have a great way to, uh, to talk about it other than to kind of break it down and explain it like this. So do you think it's growing across the country? Are there going to be more programs? I do. I do. I think uh, what we're finding is music teachers are the drivers of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I do hope more more parents and families advocate um, because that's going to kind of create a snowball effect. Right, but, right. Um, in terms of in terms of how these classes are being formed, I think there's going to be a, a, a coming wave of um, let's say flute players who are music teachers, but who grew up playing their flute and doubling parts, like playing duets right. with yeah. with their with you know playing both parts. Um, or writing a, a drum accompaniment to to a piece that they wrote. And and then, it, of course, you know, as teachers, we love to share that with our students. So right. we're going to develop classes to, uh, to uh, create opportunities for that. Yeah. So could you share a favorite story from the music production program? So probably my favorite recent story is getting invited to a gig f- uh, from a band that met in in my program. So these are oh. students, and actually, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but um, we're at Glen Oak High School. We we have other high schools in a in a career tech compact that students can come mm-hmm. over to that high school. And so these were these are four students who from three different high schools who've never met each other before. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, with that um, honing their craft, they sort of found a role and then found that they needed each other's role to sort of mm-hmm. make this band work. And by the end of junior year, they had a little EP that they put together yeah. and gave me a copy of it, which was really great. And then um, senior year had a few live things. And, and now they're um, all at the same university studying music technology wow. and production and invited me to their gig. That is terrific. Yeah. Dave, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I love these conversations. And uh, the work that Justin's doing is, is just outstanding. And I'm going to join the ranks of, of folks uh, reaching out and, and learning more about that excellent program. Wonderful. Both Justin and Dave provided some examples of ways that families can support their kids in engaging in music production. They also talked about the need for advocacy, looking for programs, supporting programs, and seeking out opportunities for our kids. 
Please check out our show notes to learn more about the work of the Otis Redding Foundation. And there's a link there if you'd like to support the work of the foundation. You can also check out a YouTube video that gives an overview of Dr. David Thompson's music production program at Glen Oak High School. Thanks for joining us today for the Parenting Musically podcast, supported by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Case Western Reserve University. Keep making music a meaningful part of your family's life.